Yeah, I, I, I think time is of the essence here. I think we will be into maybe having the legal argument for um, protected witness. We, as we all know, uh, we're expecting Dowdle to follow um, this ruling. So whether he'll be up at the middle or end of next week, we're not sure. But I would think that some legal argument has to take place before he takes the stand. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The judges at the Special Criminal Court are set to rule on the admissibility of evidence relating to 10 hours of conversation between murder accused Jerry the Monk Hutch and ex-Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall that were captured by a Garda bugging device on March 7, 2016. The defence, led by Brendan Grehan, senior counsel, say almost eight hours of the contents of the audio recording of the conversations should be thrown out as Dowdall's jeep was travelling through Northern Ireland at the time and therefore are illicit fruit. The prosecution disagrees and counsel Sean Gallan says the bug was an inanimate object and the recordings are lawful as the bug was deployed, retrieved and downloaded in the Republic. The decision will be hugely significant for Garda operations and for criminals. Today, I'm talking with courts reporter Alison O'Reardon about the crossroads in the Regency trial and what the judgment will mean for Garda, the Surveillance Act and the accused. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Look, it's unusual that we were able to listen to these conversations that are now, you know, the subject of debate and this judgment is coming as regards whether they can be uh, submitted as evidence or not. And that's just because it's the special criminal court in front of a jury that would never have happened. But nonetheless, these conversations that were between Dowdall and Jerry the Monk Hutch, much reported on over the past couple of, certainly the last week, um, there is an argument and we're going to find out which way the trial will swing, really, uh, from here on in. I would nearly describe it as a bit of a crossroads. Yeah, so Nicola, we know that nearly three weeks ago, the judges at the Special Criminal Court ruled they'd listened to these 10 hours of conversation between Mr Hutch and Dowdle that were captured on the bugging device on March 7th. And that's despite Dowdle's bugged jeep haven't been outside of the state during the majority of the recordings it's actually quite unprecedented to have 10 hours of unguarded conversations between two persons of interest in an investigation so the defense have objected to the admissibility of almost eight hours of the contents of that 10 hour audio recording of the conversation and it's the prosecution's case that these recordings came on the back of Mr. Hutch asking Dowdle to arrange a meeting with his provisional Republican contacts to mediate or resolve the Hutchkin and feud due to the threats against the accused family and friends. So that's, I suppose, why they went up north. But the recordings contain some very, I suppose you could say, careless and unwise comments, which listeners they've heard about in your previous podcasts. But it's the defence core argument, which I'll expand on later, that any material gathered by Gardaí from a bugging device in Dowdle's Jeep when it crosses the border at 3.10 on the M1 at the Carrickdale Hotel in Dundalk, County Louth, until 10.50pm that night when it re-enters the jurisdiction. They're saying it's outside the remit of the Criminal Justice Surveillance Act 2009. 
and that the state is operating out, was operating outside the legal jurisdiction granted by the district court judge under the act and that therefore the evidence hearted from as they term it that illicit fruit should be excluded from the trial so you mentioned there just about it's very unusual that that these this would happen but about the judges listening to the tapes before they rule. But the non-jury court said it would rule on the extraterritorial issue raised and other arguments once they listened to the 10 hours. And that day, Nicola has now arrived. The court is ruling tomorrow, Friday, having listened to the three days of legal argument from both sides. And the three judges will decide if the recordings are admissible in evidence. If this was a jury trial, the jury would not hear the evidence before the judge ruled on admissibility. But here the court took the unusual step at the request of the prosecution, Mr. Sean Galan, of hearing the evidence before they rule on its admissibility. This is because, Nicola, they're professional judges who are deemed capable of pushing what they've heard out of their minds if they exclude the audio or any part of it. Unlike ourselves, maybe to put it out of their minds, but the Surveillance Act. Now, for most normal people, we don't really pay a huge amount of heed to these acts in law. But the fact that it was 2009 means it's quite new because, you know, you hear an awful lot of these acts dating back to the 40s and 50s. Um, you know, they might be updated over the years by the Oireachtas, but nonetheless, that is a, a new act. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about it because a lot of the guards in question, particularly from the National Surveillance Unit, they have been asked, you know, about their careers, were they operating and working before this act and after this act? It seems to be a very significant thing in this case. Um, but what is this Surveillance Act and, you know, where does it come in? I suppose the heartbeat of the defence's argument surrounds this Surveillance Act 2009. So the Act was the first piece of legislation to regulate the use of surveillance in the state. And when I say surveillance, I mean electronic devices such as trackers and bugging devices which record conversations secretly, i.e. without the person's consent. So Section 5.9 of the Act, that stipulates and according to the fence is a critical part of the act and it states that an authorization shall have effect both within the district court district to which the judge is assigned and critically in any other part of the state and the defense say this is a clear indicator that the guardie can only bug conversations within the state so the act is intended to be exhaustive in terms of what Gardaí can do by way of surveillance. As before the 2009 Act came into being, this was a totally unregulated system, Nicola, without any form of our oversight and a huge shroud or culture of secrecy surrounded electronic surveillance. And it was never used in evidence in court. So this Surveillance Act enabled um, or made the fruits of electronic surveillance to be admitted in criminal trials, but also regulated, I suppose, how surveillance could be authorised and conducted. And importantly, the guardie now have to apply to a district court judge for permission to deploy a bugging device, but not interestingly, a tracker device that still can be authorised by a, a member or an officer, one of the heads in crime and security. That's interesting. And I suppose what we should point out is the reason that it was unregulated as such was prior to that, it was largely used in cases involving subversives. And it was seen as if, you know, there was a war in the country, basically. And so the police would have been on 
essentially war footing. And, you know, they were using these trackers and bugging devices in order to to police the subversives. But then obviously, as time has moved on, it became clear that this sort of evidence is used in courts across the world bugging trackers, etc. So that's why it was moved into this, you know, under the umbrella of some legislation and, you know, why that act came into being. And it means for the police that they can actually now put this evidence to the court, whereas before they couldn't. So I suppose essentially we look at maybe what each side have argued and maybe start with the defence. Brendan Grehan, senior counsel, is representing Hutch. What, what does he say about it? Yes. So Brendan Gren, he's had, I suppose, in his argument, a two pronged approach. So firstly, as I said, the heartbeat of the defence's complaint is that the state are relying on surveillance that took place outside the jurisdiction in Northern Ireland. They say, as in the defence say, that the state was acting illegally or in contravention of its own act when they continued to use the guarded bugging device after it had travelled north that day. And they say the evidence garnered or to put it in the lawyer's phrase, the fruits of this poison tree should be inadmissible. So from very early on in the trial, Mr. Grehan was constantly asking witnesses questions whether a tracker was deployed on the Jeep. And eventually the prosecution admitted there was a tracker. And we had all that nonsense, which listeners have heard about, about records being records being destroyed. And then they weren't destroyed after all. And then as the famous biblical phrase goes, what was lost is now found. And we now know the reason defence was doing this is that they wanted to be able to show that Gardaí knew Jeep was outside the jurisdiction when an audio bug was recording their conversations. And that's how we get to the big argument that the defence have made this week, that the Surveillance Act does not permit Gardaí to conduct surveillance outside the jurisdiction and therefore in Northern Ireland. And they say as a result of the eight hours of audio from Northern Ireland, it should be excluded in evidence. And Mr. Grehan, he's argued that the Surveillance Act is as clear as can be that an authorization for a surveillance device can only apply within the state and the circumstances in which surveillance can be used are strictly delineated by the terms of the Act. He submitted that there's nothing in the Act to suggest a scope beyond the borders of the state and the Iraq and that the Iraqis would have legislated for this, in his words, with irresistible clearness if this had been the case and would have expressly and explicitly stated it in the Act. So he said the state has danced around the jurisdiction issue and that the prosecution were in effect being very coy about that issue. And he argued that a district court judge cannot grant authorization for a surveillance act that could have an effect outside this jurisdiction and that the outer limits of what they can authorize under the act is surveillance in the in the state so in effect he is saying they have no authority to permit surveillance outside the state and just an interesting point nicola he raised is that he said guardy from the crime and security section and the nsu the national surveillance unit who gave evidence during the trial he said they'd taken great care to show they don't cook conduct surveillance outside the state because they know that the act does not permit them to do so and in his words he said but that is exactly what the court is being asked to permit to be introduced into this case so its stance is that the state cannot be allowed to benefit from its own illegality and the fruits of that harvest harvest should be admitted into the trial so the court he is saying cannot ignore the law and if they sanction such a process they are in effect abandoning the rule of law and just one point um to point out he actually 
relied on a case called Sonny Ida in his submissions to the three judge court. And Mr. Grahan, um, he he was he talked about the Sonny Ida case, put it forward as an authority. And he said it was one of the first surveillance cases and that it featured a bugging device and funny enough in the bedroom of the Regency Hotel. So that's quite ironic considering. Uh, well, it is a very case. small country we live in. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> So then I suppose the other prong to his argument, Nicola, is that um, they're challenging the defence, are challenging the lawfulness of the authorisation for the bug granted by the district court judge. So they do so on a number of grounds, but the major one is based on an alleged um, lack of candour in the information provided by the NSU superintendent when he applied for the authorisation. So the defence's contention is that the judge was not given all the information that would have been required for him to make an informed decision, such as the fact that a tracking device on Dowdle's vehicle had already been improved 36 hours earlier to be fitted to the Land Cruiser and also that the Jeep might be travelling outside the jurisdiction into Northern Ireland. So Mr. Grant said the bugging device was sought to be authorised under, as he put it, a culture of secrecy and with an unintentional lack of candour by the detective superintendent. By lack of candour, which he said later, he said he wasn't into he wasn't inferring any allegation of dishonesty on the part of this detective superintendent, but rather of non-disclosure. And he said there was a huge imbalance of information between the applicant for the authorization of that bug and the judge. And that is why the judge should have been provided with complete information. Um, and the failure to do this, basically, Nicola, invalidated the authorization is what was argued. Yeah, interesting. And, um, you know, Obviously, he's throwing a couple of things in there in regards to just that little bit. He's saying that there is this sort of culture of secrecy that, you know, the detective superintendent wasn't intentionally intentionally trying to deceive anybody. But it's just this sort of culture of non-disclosure that exists within that particular unit of crime and security. And he goes back and always did go back to that sort of pre-2009 when there was no warrants needed for any of this. But um, OK, the state disagree completely. And Sean Galan is the senior counsel for the prosecution. So he also has a robust argument that he's put before the court. So what did he say? Yeah, Mr. Galan, he's saying he that the prosecution are not making any extraterritorial claim for guard or surveillance, but argued that the bug was an inanimate object and the recordings made by happenstance as he said it, when across the border are admissible in evidence as long as the device was lawfully deployed, retrieved and downloaded in the Republic, which it was. So the state's contention is that any issue about where the device mm. travelled is a cloud, which defence, he said, has placed over the act. I think he was asked at one stage what his position would be if a car was bugged and it went on a ferry and made its way over to France. And he said his position would be the same. Yes, he uh, presiding judge was Justice Tara Burns. She asked Mr. Galan, at the end of his submissions, if a bug was placed in a car in this jurisdiction and it travels on a ferry to France, was he saying that once the surveillance device is placed and retrieved lawfully on the car within this jurisdiction, then it does not matter a damn, as she said it, where the vehicle was in the meantime, as long as the bug had been placed in the, this jurisdiction pursuant to valid authorization of the district court. And Mr. Glan agreed that that's what he was saying and it could in fact have been all over Europe. 
So at the end of the legal argument on Tuesday, the presiding judge inquired for Mr. Gerlan. In her words, she said, um, you said, Mr. Gerlan, that all you have to say in relation to the audio. So if it was a thing that the court made a determination that the audio harvested from the north was unlawfully harvested, harvested, I take it you have nothing further to say in relation to that issue. So Mr. Gerlan agreed that that was correct and he was not proposing to hold back anything in reserve or call further evidence on that issue. And that appears, Nicola, to be a possible reference to the Supreme Court's decision in JC on inadvertence, where it appears will not be a feature of this case. So that was where evidence obtained unconstitutionally will be admi admissible if the prosecution can show breach was due to inadvertence. But he's not going there. I don't totally understand that. Does that mean that if, if, the, if the judge makes a decision that he's not going to come back with more or just that he's... If evidence was obtained inadvertently, then it would be admissible. Right, I get you. So what is the judgment going to be like? I mean, we can't, we're, we're trying to sort of guess what's coming, but there, you know, there's probably a few different ways this could fall, isn't there? Yeah, I think uh, there's three possible ways that this could fall. So depending on the ruling, all, part or none of the recordings might be allowed into evidence. So option one, if all the defence's arguments are rejected, then the full hour, full 10 hours of audio will be admitted into evidence. That's one possibility. Then option two, if the defence are fully successful in arguing that what happened in Northern Ireland is unlawful and that the fruits of that poison tree extends to when the Jeep came back into this jurisdiction, then all the court will allow in is the first 50 minutes of the jury of the journey until it reaches the Carrickdale Hotel in Dundalk. And then I suppose a third possibility, which indeed Sean Galan canvassed for in the event that the court decided what happened in Northern Ireland was unlawful, is that the court would admit not just the evidence up until the Carrickdale Hotel, but also evidence from when the Jeep crosses back into the Republic at 10.50pm. So that gives us, Nicola, approximately mm -hmm. two hours of conversation out of the 10. Yeah, and there was some significant conversation in within that sort of time period when the, the car was in the South. I mean, we heard it ourselves before and obviously in the aftermath. I mean, they were, as you say, very unguarded. They'd no idea they were being bugged. They were talking about all sorts of issues. And we'd have to go back really with proper notes to work out what was said, you know, in the South and what was said in the North. But I think they definitely referred to the Regency and there was other there was other significant yeah. bits there. So if the court finds on that last point, I said the defence jurisdiction ground that it was illegal to operate surveillance in Northern Ireland, that would be excluded at that everything after the Carrickdale Hotel at 310. But the fruits of that poison tree, as Mr. Graham said, they come into play because what happened in Northern Ireland is illegal and the defence that, that taints what happened when the Jeep comes back into the South. So if that two hours are allowed in, there is still very significant material, such as Mr. Hutch referring to throwing the three yokes up to them as a present and also him saying that the six people don't even know who they are and that no one effing knows. So that's apparently referring to the six people involved in the Regency. Yeah, and I think in the opening of the case, so which is like, you know, the significant bones of it, the prosecution used that sort of aspect of it, the throwing the three yokes up to them and stated that it's the prosecution belief that the yokes were the AK-47. So, you know, that they, they opened with that. So what sort of um, is the bigger picture on this? I mean, you know, 
it's clearly we're focused on border policing here, which is definitely a big problem <clears throat> in both jurisdictions and is a difficult one to tackle because of so much politics in the north in particular. But what's the kind of broader reach of all this and what is going to mean going forward? Yes, yeah, so the court, they have a big responsibility with this judgment, uh, which is imminent. So because this is a relatively new act, the Surveillance Act 2009, there haven't been many court judgments interpreting its reach. So a Supreme Court decision about the handling of recordings was given in the Hannaway case, and which you remember, Nicola, that involved one of the accused, one of the famous um, hooded men. So as well as one or two other appeal court decisions, um, all of which have featured in legal argument, that's um, what's been in the past. But this is the first time a court has been asked to interpret the act on that thorny issue of surveillance outside the jurisdiction. And you would imagine, Nicola, therefore, the court would be very careful in whatever ruling they deliver on this issue because of its future potential effect on other guard operations, because it will be watched very closely due to its effects on others. And indeed, this was reflected in that in the court when it, it's given itself three days to deliberate on this matter. Absolutely, because in particular, Justice Tara Burns has been repeatedly pointing out how time is so precious in the special criminal court. It's so difficult to get a trial on, um, you know, and there is, you know, well, they can't limit a trial. You know, there there is other trials booked in as such. And, you know, I think the courts are difficult to to get to seat. So taking the three days is um is significant. Um. This judgment uh, or ruling as such will be tomorrow. So that is it likely. So the case will kick off again one way or another, whatever the situation is. Or is it likely that everybody will go away to consider it? Uh, what do you guess like? So they're due to deliver their ruling at 11 tomorrow. And um, yeah, I, I, I think time is of the essence here. I think we will be into maybe having the legal argument for um, protected witness. We, as we all know, uh, we're expecting Dowdle to follow um, this ruling. So whether he'll be up at the middle or end of next week, we're not sure. But I would think that some legal argument has to take place before he takes the stand. Mm. And we covered the, um, the Jim Mansfield case where there was a protected witness, Martin Byrne. He... Um, gave evidence in that case and was held uh, under cross-examination for four, for four days or from memory. He was a long time in cross-examination. But before that, there were some arguments and questions asked by the defence about whether he was, you know, how he had signed into the programme and all the rest of that. I mean, the programme itself is another element that, um, you know, is something that regularly uh, causes some legal argument. Yeah, I suppose like the defence are going to be seeing um, what's he getting out of this. Do you know mm. what I mean? And look into may if monetary mm. uh, compensation, anything like that. Um, I would say, yeah, a few guards and stuff and detectives are going to have to be called people who took his statement and stuff like that. So, yeah, I would say we'll get into it maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. And that's when all the media and everyone is going to be descending down here because he is, Dowdle is the other plank of the prosecution case. The tapes are on the one hand um, 
one plank, but this is a very important part and probably the core of the prosecution's case. Yeah, I mean, he is sort of the other superstar as such in this case. And um, we'll get a proper picture of how he entered, you know, a place where he went from accused to wanting to give evidence and, go, you know, going to the police. We heard a little bit about the timeline of that uh, when he first approached police about going on the witness protection programme or giving evidence. But we'll probably get really good detail of that. And, you know, more than likely it'll come in his state of mind where he was when he gave his statements, etc. All of that will be before. So, yeah, that'll definitely take a few days, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think it's going to, I think it will take a week or so. I, do, I don't know. Um, we've seen when Aaron Brady, he gave evidence in mm. his case on the murder um, of that, that one, guard yeah. and um, Brendan Grehan, who was for the state in that case. I think he had him on um, the stand for at least a week. So who knows? We Dowdle could be giving evidence for up to five days. Mm. We just don't know. I suppose a lot of it depends on this ruling. What is in, what is out, what can be put to Dowdle, do you know? Um, so we'll have to mm. see. It's a guessing game, I suppose, where we are at the moment. Yeah, and we'll know as well, you know, how significant his, you know, how, look, if if this these tapes aren't allowed, they're a significant part of the prosecution case. So therefore, if they aren't allowed, Dowdle's evidence will be even more significant than it would be if, if they had the tapes as well. So look, we'll maybe I'll be here next week anyway. And uh, I think everyone will be here I next know, week. I know, yeah, we'll have to get in early. Yeah. Get our coffees. Okay, okay, Alison, thanks a million. No bother. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.